As a child, I'm sure you were introduced to Aesop's fables. We've read those with our children. Aesop was a, a Greek storyteller back maybe 6th century B.C., and he wrote little fanciful stories about talking animals way before Disney ever did that. Aesop was doing it. He used talking animals to convey little nuggets of wisdom. One of the famous stories you probably are familiar, it's the ant and the grasshopper. Remember the ant uh, worked hard all summer, storing up food, working hard, working hard, while the grasshopper just frittered the time away, singing and dancing. But then winter came, and the ant was well supplied, taken care of, plenty of food for the harsh season. The grasshopper had nothing. And when the grasshopper comes to the ant seeking help, he refuses him. Go sing and dance. There's nothing for you here. Well, the moral of that story is pretty clear. You, you work hard now to guarantee a good future. But if you're lazy, you pay the price. We like telling children those kind of stories because we're helping our children to understand how the world works and, and what the right way to live in response to reality is, that you can't be lazy, you've got to work hard. Right? That's wisdom. It's possible that you learned wisdom as a child from stories just like that. Maybe you learned to be honest from the boy who cried wolf. Or maybe you learn to be patient and humble from the tortoise and the hare. Slow and steady wins the race, right? See, every parent desires wisdom for their child. We want our children to know the right way to live. But it's not just stories for children. There's a reason those stories stick with us. Because even as adults, especially as adults, we're confronted consistently all the time with a need for wisdom. Now, I made this point already. What, what is wisdom? Wisdom, we may, when you think of the word wisdom, you may have in your mind an old person on a rocking chair somewhere on a porch musing about life. Um, but y'all, wisdom is simply this. Wisdom is the ability to navigate reality. Wisdom is the ability to understand the world, how the world works, and then knowing how to live the right way according to reality. That's, that's wisdom. And y'all, we need wisdom for basically everything. Ch chances are, just this week, there are going to be a thousand moments in your week that require some form, some manner of wisdom. It's not clearly a right or wrong, black or white. It requires thought. It requires patience. It requires education. It requires knowledge. It requires wisdom. So here's the deal. Here's the truth. Wisdom applies to something as simple as just knowing not to touch a hot stove. That requires wisdom. You don't want to learn that the hard way. But wisdom also shows us what it looks like to discipline our children. And every child's a little different, right? It takes wisdom. Wisdom tells us how we're supposed to approach a grieving friend. Wisdom tells us when to speak up and when to remain silent. Wisdom shows us how to save up for retirement. Wisdom shows us how to respond to criticism, how to handle personal failure, knowing who we can trust. That requires wisdom. Now, those are just basic daily kind of things. There's also bigger stuff, knowing who to marry, knowing where you should live, knowing what job or what career to pursue. See, those aren't clear, black and white, right or wrong issues most of the time. Those require wisdom. Now, nobody understood this better than Solomon, the man who wrote Ecclesiastes. In fact, there's this wonderful story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon is anointed king over Israel to succeed his father David. And God comes to Solomon and says, whatever you ask me, I'll give you. Well, Solomon in that moment does not ask for military power or long life, 
or wealth. He asks God for wisdom so that he can lead Israel well. And God is so pleased with Solomon's request that he says to him, I will give you wisdom like none who have come before you and none after. So we consider Solomon to be the wisest man who ever lived. And of course, we know that's true, at least practically we know it, because Solomon gave us the majority of the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, the greatest wisdom book the world has ever known. That's why it's so shocking to see what Solomon actually says about wisdom in Ecclesiastes. What we just read from the end of chapter 1, Solomon says the pursuit of wisdom is like chasing the wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. That's strange to us, because at least for me, I think about wisdom as an altogether good thing. What could possibly be the downside of wisdom, of living the right way? Well, let's turn to chapter 2 now to find out. Maybe just one page over for you, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Y'all remember Solomon's thesis? Uh, If you weren't here with us two weeks ago, we looked at chapter 1. Solomon says this very matter-of-factly. Life is meaningless under the sun. That phrase, under the sun, very important. He's talking about a world without regard for God. Under the sun means this life is all there really is. And so if you only live for the here and now, if you only live for the temporary and not for the eternal, Solomon says you're only in the end going to find vanity, futility, chasing the wind. And then Solomon goes into particulars. He shows us how this actually works. So last week, the first part of chapter 2, we looked at the pursuit of pleasure. What Solomon himself experienced, the pleasure of the senses, maxed out. Every pleasure, he he denied himself nothing. But also the pleasure of human achievement and wealth. And in the end, Solomon says, this too is empty. It's meaningless. You can't find meaning in pleasure. Well, pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure, that's that's a fool's errand, right? So Solomon now is going to move on to something more noble. Okay, instead of pursuing pleasure, I'm going to pursue wisdom. But he still ends up just as sour about that. So let's find out why. Look at at chapter 2, verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Now right away, Solomon affirms wisdom is a good thing. He's not down on wisdom. It's good. Wisdom excels folly or foolishness as light excels darkness. Now, you don't have to be a Christian or even a religious person to understand that. This is just how the world works. It's better to save some of your money than it is to waste it impulsively. Everybody knows that. It's better to discipline a child than it is to let them run wild and free and always have their way. It's better to obey the law than it is to break it and suffer the consequences. It's better to deal with people honestly than it is to lie and cheat your way to success, no matter how successful you become. It's better to work hard than it is to be lazy, right? This is is what we would consider common wisdom, common sense. And the point that Solomon makes is that, that, that it's good. There's a good way, a right way to live, just as there's a wrong way to live. So he says, wisdom, to have wisdom is like walking through life in the daylight with your eyes open. 
But there's another way to live. There's a foolish way to live, he says, which is like stumbling around in the dark. It's like walking blindly. Um, There's a wise and a foolish way. And the, the sad truth is all of us probably know at least one person who, because they have shunned wisdom, they've rejected wisdom, they've ruined their life in the process. Um, But on its own terms, Solomon says, wisdom is good, wisdom is good. And yet, look at the end of verse 14. When it comes to the wise man and the fool, he says, yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. Now Solomon comes to a very grim conclusion right here. No matter how hard I work to be wise, no matter how patient and thoughtful and educated and disciplined I am, no matter how noble of a person I am, in the end, I will end up just like the fool. And right here, Solomon taps into one of the most frustrating, confusing realities of of life. Live long enough, though, and we all know it's true. We all come to terms with this that good and wise people suffer the same as bad and foolish people. That good and wise people are subject to economic downturns just like everybody else. That good and wise people get fired, get dumped, get in car accidents, just like everybody else. Good and wise people lose their loved ones at the same rate as the rest of the world. And they themselves also will die. Now remember, Solomon is looking at life under the sun. I know this sounds very depressing, but he's making a point. Under the sun, if this life is all there is, if this life is all that really matters, then it's good to be wise. It's better than the alternative. But it doesn't actually guarantee an easier life. There are good and wise people who end their lives in misery, while there are fools who end with with ease and comfort and bliss. There are good and wise people, you may be one of them or you know one of them, who has had an entirely difficult life all the way through, one thing after another, because wisdom and goodness does not guarantee an easier, better life. And it doesn't change the end result of life. Look at verse 16. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. Solomon says the wise person and the foolish person will share the same cemetery, covered with the same dirt. And Solomon says they're going to share, ultimately share the same legacy. Now this is, I think, what bothered him the most, and it ought to bother all of us. Solomon says no matter how hard you work to be wise, no matter how diligent you are to live a good and meaningful life, you will one day be forgotten, just like the rest. You will die and be buried, and the world will keep on going just fine without me. And eventually, given enough generational time, passage of time, uh, I won't even be a flicker in anyone's memory. No one will remember me. So if that's what I'm living for, if I'm living for a legacy, if I'm living for significance, if I'm living just the right way to be wise so that after me the world will be a better place, yeah, but for how long? Because in the end, Solomon says, there's no remembrance. In the coming days, all will be forgotten. Now, we've already established that wisdom is better than folly. Wisdom is a good thing. But here's Solomon's point. What's it going to matter in the end? 
If this life is all there is, if we just live and die under the sun, if we're living for ourselves for this life only, what difference is it going to make? Like building a beautiful sandcastle on the shore. It takes so much energy and you do all your best effort to make it ornate and just right and then you wake up the next morning to admire it and the tide has washed it away entirely. It's like it never happened at all. Solomon says that's like life under the sun. Look at verse 17, his conclusion. So I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. Y'all, it's strange to read words like that in the Bible, isn't it? I hated life. If you had a friend or or a family member who was talking like this, you would seek immediate intervention, wouldn't you? But y'all, listen, Solomon has not flown off the handle. Solomon's not on suicide watch. He's simply, soberly, showing us what life really is. He's pulling back the curtain to show us the bare bones of reality. Under the sun, this is the outcome. Now, last week, if you were here, even if you weren't, we looked at the first portion of chapter 2, the pursuit of pleasure. And Solomon makes a fascinating point that all of history has shown to be true. The more you pursue pleasure, the emptier you become. It doesn't make any sense, but it's true. The more you chase a feeling, the more you pursue pleasure and delight, the emptier in the end you actually become. It goes into a vacuum that is never full, that's never satisfied. And he says the same principle is true right here. The wiser you become, the harder you work to figure out life and to live the right way, he says, the more frustrated you get. Because we realize no matter how we choose to live, it all goes into the same vacuum. It all ends up the same. Now, what does this have to do with us? Uh, It's possible that we read what Solomon is saying here. We're talking about wisdom. And this maybe seems to us to be a very lofty idea, not very practical. We imagine maybe Solomon as an old man rocking in a chair on the porch, musing about life, and he's bitter, you know, because life hasn't turned out the way he hoped. And we just kind of, you know, in one ear, out the other, pay no mind to Solomon. He's just, he's upset. But no, listen, what Solomon's not, he's not talking about some lofty idea or something that only comes to us, you know, at the end of life. Solomon's talking about this desire that we all have to simply understand the world. All of us want to know how the world works and figure out how we're meant to live in response to it, right? All of us have the desire to control our own destiny. We want to believe that we, by wisdom, can control our life and our circumstances and make everything line up just right, If you're a fan of the Back to the Future movies, at the end of Back to the Future 3, the worst one, the one where they go to the Old West, at the end of that movie, Doc Brown actually says something really profound, or, you know, culturally it's profound. He says to Marty McFly, he says, remember, Marty, the future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. And we all believe that. At least we like to believe that. I like to think that the future is whatever I make it. And therefore, I'm in control. I can make it a good one if I'll simply navigate life the right way. And y'all, the truth is, it doesn't feel this way, perhaps, but right now, in our present culture, we're more fixated on wisdom than we've ever been. It doesn't seem like that because so much of our culture seems to be unwise and foolish, right? But I want you to think about this. Every single day, there are thousands of articles written on our political climate and how we should solve our problems, on things like 
uh, climate change and poverty and uh, all of the problems and ills of the world, everybody's got an opinion on what we ought to do about it. That's, that's collective wisdom, right? And every single day, thousands of blog posts written on how you can optimize your own personal life. You don't have to look very far to find it or go to a self-help section in the bookstore to find it. How I need to eat better, how I can raise my children better, how to negotiate a raise, how to sleep better, how to retire earlier, how to live longer, right? We're, we are a people obsessed with figuring out the world and mastering life. We all want to know how to optimize this world and optimize ourselves. We're all seeking the answers to the best possible life, which means we are all constantly searching for wisdom. But hear the sharp edge in Solomon's voice right here. He says wisdom may improve your life, but it cannot give you life. And that's the whole issue. That's the whole thing that brought him to despair. Wisdom can help you along, perhaps, but it can't give you the one thing you really need. The thing that we truly need, human wisdom cannot provide. No matter how we try to optimize reality, we need wisdom from beyond the sun. We need the wisdom of God. Now, we're in church, and that's what you expected me to say. Of course, we need the wisdom of God. But I want to encourage you in this, that the wisdom of God is probably at least a little bit different than what we think it is. Or at least it begins to us, it comes to us in a different way than what we thought. Uh, if you do have your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to spend the rest of our time there, so it's worth turning to. 1 Corinthians 1, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to people in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was not all that different from our present day and time. These were people who were very generally religious. They believed in a divinity, you know, um, some obscure god perhaps out there, or a multiplicity of gods, a lot of gods. But they were convinced by philosophy that they could establish how the world works and live the right way without regard for God. They didn't need God for that. That within the confines of human reason, we can understand life and we can make it optimal. We can figure it out on our own. So when Paul walks into Corinth and starts preaching Jesus, what we might expect is what happens. So many people scoffed at him. They laughed at him. This, this strange message that violated what they held dear and what they believed. And so now Paul, later on down the road, he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he makes these uh, statements here, and they, they're meant to be biting. There's a little sarcasm here. It's, the, it's, it's purposeful. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Human wisdom under the sun Paul says it's foolishness to God. Why? Because y'all think about this. All human wisdom begins and ends with us. It's self-centered. It's man-centered. We're trying to figure out how the world works so that we can master it. That's the goal of wisdom. And that's why Paul says the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. 
God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God says that in Isaiah, that God exists on a different plane of wisdom and understanding than we do. And so listen, if you're looking merely to yourself to understand God, you'll never get to God. You'll only get maybe a glorified view, uh, per, uh, version of you. Human wisdom cannot know God. And therefore, God has to reveal himself to us from outside of us. That's why God, it says, was well-pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, why would Paul call his own gospel message foolish? Well, look at verse 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. Two groups of people here, primary in, in the time, that received the gospel message. There were Jews. Of course, these are God's people, the people of Israel. They stumbled over the message of the cross, Paul says. Because to them, it, was, it made no sense. It wasn't wise for them to believe this because they believed in a, um, a victorious Messiah, not a crucified Messiah. A Messiah who would come and conquer and deliver Israel from their enemies. Not a weak man, not a failure, not a man who would die at the hands of the Romans. So they stumbled over that message. Well, then you also have the Greeks. The Greeks, they saw the cross as foolishness. You're telling me that God, if there is a God, that Almighty God is going to reveal himself to the world through a crucified criminal, through a nobody? That's laughable. It's foolish. But, verse 24, but to those who are the called, to those whom God saves, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, this is an amazing statement. That Jesus on the cross, when, when he says, when people look at Jesus on the cross, what do they see? They see weakness. They see foolishness. This is God's plan for the world? And yet, Paul says, Jesus on the cross, to see Jesus there dying, bleeding on the cross, is actually to witness the purest form of God's wisdom and God's power. It's on display for us to see the cross which the world esteems as weak and foolish. God uses it to show us who he really is. The ultimate expression of his love, his power, his wisdom, and his grace. Now come back with me for just a second to Solomon's problem. Remember, Solomon's problem is not wisdom is bad. No, wisdom is good. Wisdom is good, but wisdom cannot save you. No matter how hard you work, no matter how wisdom, no matter how much wisdom you attain to, Solomon excelled us all, the wisest man who ever lived, and yet he's telling us, he's telling us it's empty. It can't save you. Life under the sun, we all end up the same. It can help you along, but it can't give you the one thing that you really need, and therefore it all ends in futility. Okay, so how is God's wisdom different than that? And here's the challenge, I think. We, most of us, I think we tend to think of God's wisdom as just a better version of our wisdom. Okay? God's book is better than our book. The book of Proverbs is better than Oprah's book club, and we should read the book of Proverbs instead, right? God will tell us the right way to live. Here's what I think, but I'm going to open my Bible and find out how I, what I should do instead, right? And that's, that's, of course, true, that God gives practical wisdom for life, and it's better to follow that wisdom than man's wisdom. But y'all, God's wisdom chiefly, primarily, it's not just better advice to follow. 
God's wisdom is not just better words for us to live by. Paul says, no, God's wisdom is established on a cross. Ultimately, finally, fully, God's wisdom comes to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of true, divine, eternal wisdom. And so the point in all of that is this. A lot of us, I think, we're trying, even as Christians, we're trying to navigate life simply by being a little bit better than we used to be. Hopefully a little wiser than I used to be. And I'm going to open my Bible in order to find out better advice than the world offers me. What's in there is better than what's out there. True. But y'all, the wisdom of God, ultimately, eternally, is not words on a page. The wisdom of God is a person. A person that we can know, that we trust, that we follow. The wisdom of God is fully exemplified in Jesus Christ. That's why the world sees it as foolishness. A man who died on a cross. Why should I follow him? Why should I trust in him? Why should I look to him to figure out this life? Well, look down at verse 30. This is 1 Corinthians 1.30. It's because by God's doing You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In Jesus Christ, we have everything for life and godliness, everything for this life now and for the life to come, everything that God requires of us righteousness and sanctification and redemption and wisdom, we have it not by our own accruing, not by our own doing and earning and working and striving. We have it by receiving. Jesus Christ is the source, is the creator of all wisdom. And Jesus is the goal of all wisdom. You know, right now, if you're thinking, trying, striving to understand the world and to live the right way in it. That you are ultimately aiming for something that you cannot achieve. Not even Solomon could. But it has been achieved for us. Jesus Christ has become to us the wisdom of God. That's why the Bible says, even back in the Old Testament, the Bible is so clear that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear, not afraid, but fear in worship, fear in reverence, fear in awe, that our devotion to God, our singular focus on God is the beginning, the source of all wisdom. And ultimately that wisdom culminates in the man who was nailed to the cross. So y'all, if if you're sitting here thinking, what makes me a Christian is that I'm a better, wiser version of what I used to be. I'm a little wiser than I used to be. I'm a little more patient. I'm a little more generous. I'm a little more self-controlled than I used to be. Isn't that great? And it is great. If that's the case, then we praise God for that. But you are not the culmination of your own goodness, of your own effort, of your own discipline, of your own self-control. If anything good is in me, if anything good is in you, it's merely an outgrowth of something much greater, of much, something much deeper and much more eternal, something beyond the Son, that we have come to know Jesus Christ. And He has become to us everything we need for life, and godliness. You notice what Paul says, that that Jesus has become to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, these ultimate things that we cannot achieve on our own. Jesus Christ has granted them to us by his grace. 
because we've been united with him. If you have trusted Jesus, then you possess, right where you sit, you possess a wisdom greater than all of the philosophies of the world combined. A wisdom that no man can touch under the sun because you are united with the very Savior of the world who is the personification of wisdom. That's why Paul said in Colossians 2, in Jesus Christ are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They are now ours because we know him. Y'all, the key to a wise and meaningful life begins with life itself. If you don't possess life in Jesus Christ, then all of your striving Solomon says, you're chasing the wind. You'll never catch up to it. You can never harness it. You can never take hold of it. You're spending your life building a beautiful sandcastle that the tide will simply wash away in the end. It begins with life itself. It begins with Jesus, in whom are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I'm going I'm to invite you, I'm going to challenge you this morning to remember this. I, and I, of course, this is an estimation. It could be even more. But you're going to face just this week, just this week, probably at least a thousand moments where wisdom is required of you. Not morality, not purely right versus wrong necessarily, not just black and white, but wisdom. The ability to navigate, the ability to choose, the ability to speak up or to remain silent, whatever it may be, you're going to face wisdom moments all throughout your week. The question we have to face is this, am I living a life Practically, even if I'm a Christian, even if I believe in Jesus, am I practically living as if I'm under the sun, as if I'm simply trying to optimize my life in the here and now? That I adopt the world's wisdom first and God's wisdom as a last resort. That I'm just making it up as I go and hoping for the best. I think a lot of us, we tend in that direction. We tend to live that way. But here we have, as those who are exposed now to the grace of Jesus, we have a wisdom the world can't touch. We have all the practical wisdom of God. Open your Bible, it's all over the place. But we have a wisdom that we are given because we are united with God himself. And therefore, the very Spirit of God guides us in everything. Do you know Jesus like that? Otherwise, we're making it up as we go. We're making it up as we go. We don't have to. Because Christ has become to us the wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So as we praise him this morning for those truths, would you, would you join me in praying also that conventional wisdom, that temporary wisdom would not be the guiding principle in our life, but that every single thing, even, even the little bitty things, like knowing not to touch a hot stove, even the little stuff that we don't even think about, we just do it naturally, that all of it, every single part of our life would be shot through with worship and devotion to a Savior who has given us a wisdom beyond the sun, a wisdom that's eternal, life itself. We find it in him. Let's pray. Father, this is a, this is a challenging word for me. Um, so often I feel like I'm just making it up as I go. And every blog post that I click into that promises a better something, I take that as gospel. I just, I just take it, it must be better than what I'm doing. That must be the answer to my problem. And Father, this is frankly, this is something I just very rarely pray for. I don't often pray for wisdom. Your wisdom. But Lord, would you, would you direct us to Jesus this morning? Would you point us to Christ? 
We, if, if we've been around church, we, we probably know that Jesus is our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, but he's also become wisdom for us. That our understanding of the world, we see the world now through the lens of Jesus. That our ability to navigate life, to think and act, to speak, to decide, all of that has now been radically changed by Jesus. We, we, we live to worship him in everything. And so, Father, forgive us for making it up as we go. Forgive us for leaning hard on conventional wisdom, perhaps, that may be good, it may be helpful. But we've, we've sought to live life somehow, some way, apart from you. We've sought our meaning apart from you. Lord, help us to see that for what it really is this morning. That it may be good enough to get by. It may be good enough to satisfy the, the status quo and the expectations that people put on us. But Lord, you've got something infinitely better in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. True wisdom eternal wisdom the opportunity for us to live a life of constant devotion dependent on your spirit who dwells within us um, Lord I, I don't pretend that I, f- I fully know how to take hold of that right now I struggle just like I'm sure the rest of us do so please give us grace grace to fix our eyes on Jesus. And Lord, everything we do, that it would be colored with devotion, with prayer, with dependence upon him so that we might live wisely as we ought in a way that truly honors you, in a way that, that, that we live so distinctively different as Christians that it's clear that we're not living under the sun but beyond it not for this life only, but for the life to come. Help us, Father, um, because we need it. We, need, we, need, uh, we don't need better advice. We need grace from our Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, that his grace never runs dry. Um, thank you, Lord, um, for your wisdom. Let it be ours too, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.